Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, we're going to be talking farming today. Uh, but let's begin with the latest changes to virus restrictions, as people in England now can be fined up to £100 if they don't wear a face covering in shops and supermarkets. From today, they're also now compulsory in stations, airports and takeaways been quite a bit of criticism that the measure's been brought in too late to stop the second wave of infections, but Boris Johnson says we now know more about the benefits than before. There's been dispute, I think, amongst the scientists over the course of the, the pandemic about the, the utility of the mask, but the advice is getting clearer and clearer that they can be of benefit. So we're saying to people, wear them in shops and wear them on public transport. Now, of course, the big question around that is enforcement. Who is going to make you do that? Sure, there are fines, but are the police going to be patrolling shops? Are the staff in the shops going to be doing it? Matt Hancock, when he was asked about this uh, a little while ago, said it's largely going to be undertaken by the British people themselves. So it'll be interesting to see just how good we all are at self-regulating. Uh, meanwhile, there's a big focus on the flu jab. Anyone over the age of 50 can now get it for free in England. The government's going to offer 30 million people the vaccination, including all healthcare workers and year seven pupils. There's a 10 and 11 year olds, for those of you who it's been a while. The uh, health minister, Helen Watley, says uh, it'll help the NHS cope over the winter months if there's another surge in infections. By having flu under control, then we're protecting our NHS. Then we're keeping our NHS ready to cope in the event that we should get extra COVID in the winter and trying to avoid people having COVID and flu at the same time. At the same time, the government said to be preparing to unveil sweeping restrictions on how unhealthy foods are sold. Sources say executives briefed on the government plans expect to ban on online advertising of junk food on TV adverts appearing before the 9pm watershed and tight curbs on in-store promotions. Curbs could be announced as early as next week. 9pm watershed. I mean, does anyone under 18 actually watch linear TV? I don't believe so. Uh, no, I can answer that one for you. I really don't think that has too much of an impact anymore. But it's so interesting to hear Boris Johnson talking about losing weight after, of course, his own experience with coronavirus and the, the sense within Downing Street is that that's where this really was born. Even today, in an interview, he was saying people should lose weight to help tackle the pandemic. So he's really making that link between uh, weight and this pandemic. And then, of course, Roger, we've got to talk about Brexit. Still lurking after a week of talks between the UK and the EU that went precisely nowhere. And as if that wasn't enough, now the government reviewing potential benefits of deals with countries like the US 
and Japan as well. This is coming from the International Trade Secretary Liz Truss. She says that previous analysis underestimated the possible gains. So it's mm. all looking like there are a lot of question marks around the Brexit situation. Well, surprise, surprise. And of course, Brexit and post-Brexit trade is one of the major issues facing British farming. That's the subject of our special programme today, as the continuation of agricultural subsidies, of course, access to European markets, all not really very clear at this stage. In addition, of course, there is the virus impact. Farmers became recognised as key workers, carried on, in fact, through the lockdown. So as Farm Safety Week, which apparently is what it is this week, wraps up here in the UK, we're going to take a special look at UK agriculture and the challenges facing. For more, I'm very pleased to say we're joined by Tom Pemberton, a full-time beef, dairy and sheep farmer based in Lytham St Anne's on the Firth Coast. So, uh, Tom, welcome to the programme. Thanks so much for being with us. Um, just, just give us a picture. What are your main challenges at the moment as a farmer? Morning, guys. So our main challenges as a farmer mainly is the weather. That's the first one. Um, I think even before this, you know, you forget that it was flooded in January, February, and then came to spring. We had a good spring, and then we had a bit of a drought, and then it, we had a bit. Of, we're a bit wet at the moment as well. So the main challenge is, uh, is the weather before anything else. It doesn't matter what anything else we do, Brexit, COVID, COVID virus, we, anything that happens. We, the weather is the most important thing. Um, so that, as a farmer, we wake up every day, see what it's like, and then we plan our day going ahead, uh, looking outside the window, you know. Well, Tom, what about COVID? How, how has that changed the way that you operate on a day-to-day -day basis? On a day-to-day -day basis, if I'm truly honest with you, it has not changed. So we, it does, we as farmers, every farmer out there, we have a job to do. Like, like a nurse, like anyone, we have animals to tend to. We cannot, we cannot not turn up. We need to turn up every day. Uh, we've taken some precautions at our farm. Uh, I heard you were talking about um, shops with face masks. We have a farm shop as well, so that's another headache. Um, but we are taking precautions with our staff. We are trying to minimise contact. We are trying to keep the two-metre distance where we can. And But we are doing temperatures to make sure that the, um, all our staff are healthy coming into it every day. And just ensuring that everyone's healthy, really. But the COVID, it hasn't changed the farming life. We have had to keep going. Maybe less people have come onto the farm, be it reps, be it you know vets. We've only had to do, we've had to book appointments. We've had to make sure that anyone who comes on the farm, it's a necessity. Um, so really, it, it, it's not tremendously changed. We've just got to just tweak a few things. Well, let's talk about something where perhaps more than a tweak is necessary. We mentioned Brexit there, of course. Now, uh, yeah. it's, it's going to be a very different life for farmers. Perhaps already is becoming yeah. that way. We're talking regulations, subsidies, access to markets. Just walk us through your concerns. Yeah, completely. Um, the other, obviously, subsidies, that they will go. Um, in five years, we'll start with them out. Five years, gone. But thing as well is... Um, the subsidies will be gone and uh, just regulations what are we buying in you know this is an issue we there was the uh, american trade deal that was on the table a little bit ago i know it caused a little bit of um, agro in the farming community i think there was a petition which got over a million signatures which is fantastic which uh, i think the population is around 70 million at around that number and so one million people to sign this it just shows that people care where the food comes from and people want it. They like British food. They want to abide by our high standards. That's the, that's the thing about British farmers, the high standards we have. We need to make sure if we do buy anything in, it does 
it's at those standards or even better if can be. Uh, what, what about a no-deal Brexit? Because as we were talking about a little bit earlier, things really aren't making much progress on that front and it is a very real yeah. possibility. So how are you planning for that? Uh, just like everyone, you've kind of got to roll with it in, in the nicest way. Um, and like I say, farmers, we've got to keep going. We, we, we've got to just play it by ear. We're, we're prepping for a little bit. There's this little bit like EU is very good for grant funding. Um, they were quite good to farmers in part, so the grant funding, that's going to be gone. So we've got to think about that. You know, we're, we're looking at ways we can improve the farm, ways that we, that we can improve the environment on our farm and increase the environment on our farm. Um, and through grants, we can do that. We can work those t- together. But that, in our five-year, ten-year business plan, could be wiped off the table. So, And it, it, it's a healthy chunk of money that will, won't be there. You know, So we, we are prepping for it a little bit, and uh, we're just... We're hoping for the best, preparing for the worst. Okay, so I mean, if you had um, had members of the government in front of you, you could say to you, "Look, this is what we as farmers need." The other side of Brexit. What what would be the top things on yep. your list? I think support. I think that would be the big thing to know that the farmers are important. Uh, it was it, it, even when um, my 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 dad would always say to me that if there was a if there was a world war or whatever, which heaven forbid, it never happens again. Um, people will come back to farmers. And obviously, uh, we hope it never happens again. And we thought this people will never think of farmers like they used to at the war. People, When the war happened, farmers were most important because we needed to feed the country. When COVID happened, farmers were told to keep... Farmers were told, were told we needed food. There was a short supply of chicken, a short supply of eggs. Everyone went to us, everyone needed us. And we just want that support to carry on for a few years, going, well, just, just to carry on. What about um, direct payments? Because they're obviously going to change when the common agricultural policy comes to an end. And we know the government is going to continue maintaining that for a little while. Uh, but, but are you worried about in the long yeah. term or even in the medium term getting less money? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think the subsidies is sustainable for the long term future. I think farmers, we need to stand on our own because that's the way it's going to go. You know, there's no point. Uh, it would be great to get it so we can invest in the farm sooner. Subsidies aren't going to be there. So we need to think like that. But we just need the support to make sure the product is if the product is valued correct at the end user. I think that's the other issue as well. Stop using farmers as a bit of a, uh, a lost leader on some product. So they come in and buy the other product at supermarkets or something like that. You know, we, we, we just want support, I think. But in the end, it does come down to that question. I mean, is farming a business or is farming like a public good and therefore deserving of public money? It's, it's a great question. I think, personally, it is a business. We obviously run our farm as a business. We try to run our farm profitably. Obviously, we can't run it at a loss. But at the same time, do people, the most profitable or the most efficient farms are these massive, massive, huge farms. Do people want us all to become factory farms? Me as a small farmer, I'm a small farmer, 220 acres, and we milk 100 cows. We sell to the local community through milk and meats and cheese through the farm shop. Do, if you want the bigger farms, and that's the way, if they, would, if they say it's not, farms aren't that important, or we want is efficiency, we'll just have to go bigger and bigger, because that's the problem. The small family farms will get butted out. It depends what the end user would like. Would the end user like more family farms, these smaller farms? 
Wolf wants to go out. For me, obviously, it comes across of uh, grazing because of me being mainly a cattle farmer. I like my cows to graze. If I had 8,000 cows, yeah. I would struggle to graze them all. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Here's a fact for you, because alongside the changes of COVID-19 and Brexit, there is a serious issue that we've got to talk about within the farming sector, and that is safety. By that measure, the industry has the worst record of any occupation in the UK and Ireland. I didn't know this until today, but I'm very keen to delve into it. And luckily here with us to talk about it is Stephanie Barclay, manager at the Farm Safety Foundation. Stephanie, give us the details here. What are the dangers of farming and what needs to be done? Well, basically over the last 60 years, the same four causes have been killing far too many farmers every year. Those causes are road transport, and that is farm transport, uh, machinery, obviously, because it's getting larger, um, animals who are entirely unpredictable, and falls, things falling on people and actually falling from height as well. So unfortunately, last year, the main cause was road transport, and that would be farm vehicles reversing, people not using quad bikes properly, not wearing helmets, things like that, just very simple things. The only thing in the last 60 years that's changed is the ATV, which is the quad bike, which has been used now part and parcel of daily farming life. And I suppose in all this, Stephanie, in the end, it is regulation. I mean, I know enough about farming. I've got friends who are farmers who say they have a mountain of safety regulation in particular to think about. But I suppose there's a difference between having the regulations and actually implementing them to the point where safety takes the main, the front seat, as it were. Well, this is the thing. Farmers are so good at looking after their animals. We've got the highest levels of animal welfare in the world. You know, they're good at looking after their land. They're fantastic at looking and maintaining their machinery. They're not very good at looking after themselves, and that's probably where the problem lies. Because it is actually the farmer, once they get into the behind the wheel of a tractor, if they're not in the right mental headspace, if they haven't done the checks, if they're not prepared to do the job and they haven't planned it, then suddenly they're more dangerous than that piece of machinery itself. So it is really about... A lot of the regulation that we talk about is common sense, making sure brakes are fitted properly, that they're actually working, that they're maintained on trailers. These are things that are common sense, but common sense isn't that common sometimes. I'm interested in what you said, Stephanie, about mental health, because I can imagine it can be sometimes quite a lonely profession and there are a lot of uh, concerns, not least COVID and Brexit. How big an impact is that on, on the farming community? It is a massive impact and it's growing in um, noise really and it's something that we've actually have been talking about through various campaigns ourselves in the last couple of years we've done some research into young farmers under the age of 40 
85% of them say that there is a direct link between mental health and farm safety. Now, the problems are that farmers face the same pressures as everybody else, but there's a unique set of stressors facing the farming industry. As you mentioned, Brexit, the um, agriculture bill, the COVID, which actually hasn't affected them as much. However, their circles of community have been taken away from them with no shows, with no livestock marts, no social engagement. So they're working long hours, long into the night, especially now with harvesting. They don't have that opportunity just to relax. They're going to go right into late autumn nights like everybody else without having had that break. And that's when things and the pressures will start to build. So what is the answer on mental health specifically? I mean, is there a way of finding, I don't know, people who can go and talk to them or ways in which they can air their problems? What are the mechanisms? Yeah, well, actually, we're very lucky in the farming community that there are some fantastic national organisations like the Royal Agricultural Benevolent Institution, like the Farming Community Network, that have these fantastic um, means and mentors that are coming from farming backgrounds so they know exactly what you're talking about. There's helplines available for them. There's obviously the Samaritans, which have a really lovely rural network as well, that if you want to just talk about it. The thing is, people need to educate themselves about the signs and symptoms of somebody that may be struggling with their mental health. We've got a resource for that. It's called The Little Book of Minding Your Head, written specifically for farmers in plain English. It's not too heavy to digest, and it can be downloaded from our website. So it's good for farmers to actually really help out each other. And that's what they do as a community. They all rally around, but it's looking out for those other people and staying connected at this time. One thing I'm interested in, uh, Stephanie, is temporary workers, because, of course, a lot of these come from abroad. That's been very difficult this year, given the travel restrictions from uh, the coronavirus. At the same time, you've got people over here who are now without their jobs. Is there some sort of uh, a symbiotic relationship here? Are those roles able to be filled by local people who otherwise perhaps wouldn't do this sort of job? There are some really good um, websites out there for people that do want to sign up to be temporary workers. Um, The the NFU, actually the National Farmers Union, um, have availability of that and they've links from their website if you did want to um, sign up. There are a lot of the agencies, recruitment agencies out there in um, rural communities that are also offering that as well. We have some guidance for temporary workers as well on the website for people that wouldn't have an opportunity to go through a proper health and safety training course. So we've got some guides and things that maybe somebody that's not used to being on a farm will really need to make themselves aware of the unique hazards and risks of working in a busy working environment like that. In an environment that accounts for 1% of the UK workforce, but 20% of all workplace deaths. Now, that was the Health and Safety Executive report that came out at the start of the week. That is absolutely frightening. It's disproportionate and it's got to be stopped. We need to find a way to improve that. Stephanie, let me drill down into what is specific to this time, to the last five months or so, of course, which is the virus, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, The extent to which that has changed the safety issues on farming, because it's pretty obvious, I suppose, stands to reason that farming's an area, like many others, where you have to be even more careful in particular ways. Well, one example I would give you is the fact over the last month, three children lost their lives on UK and Irish farms. In the last month, farming is the only environment where children continue to lose their lives in the workplace. Now, is that a result of children spending more time on farm as a result of, because of the lockdown and realising that, you know, 
we need to realise that farms are not playgrounds. You know, you know, farming's not child's play. So what we want to do is remind parents of young children that, you know what, if they cannot be safely um, supervised, they need to keep them away from the farmyard. That's just one example of lockdown. But a really positive one um, is that actually farmers have been recognised now as key workers. And this is what we want to remind them, that they are so central to putting food in our plates every day. We need them to start looking after themselves, to think about their safety every single time that they start a job. They may have done it for 40 years. They may have escaped actually having an accident. That's not to say that their luck's not going to run out sometime in the future. They need to start bringing their better behaviours into work. And what about the industry as a whole? I mean, looking ahead, the next phase of the pandemic is going to be largely the economic impact, if not, God forbid, a second wave. Um, How's the industry preparing for that? Well, actually, there's a fantastic uh, lobbying group for the National Farmers Union who represent farmers in the UK. And they're working together with the Ulster Farmers Union and the NFU Scotland and NFU Cymru as well. So they're working as a united voice to improve that, to ensure that the agricultural bill is, as, you know, is robust, that actually that the actions that are being taken at government level to support farmers going forward. And to be honest, DEFRA have been very, very good. I mean, they've been quite proactive in what they've been putting out there to support farmers so I think we need to trust that they will have our best interests at heart that they're not going to do anything that's going to damage such an important element of the economy Stephanie what about the Brexit issue because we are moving to a stage and there was no question that under the EU there were a certain set of guidelines a certain set of authorities looking into farming farming was very much an EU thing as we move out of that is that going to change are the restrictions going to become less are the ways of putting them out there the safety restrictions going to be different the safety is not going to change I mean the Brexit's not going to change safety. I mean, the, the safety is covered by the health and safety executive in terms of, of policing it. In terms of getting messages and reminding farmers, we're working closer than ever. You know, this Farm Safety Week that we're working on at the moment is five countries that have actually come together to support this very little charity that I run, you know, to actually amplify these messages right to the people that need to hear them, which are the farmer. You know, this is the most important thing, that they just need to be reminded of all the things things of how they're valued and how all the, every decision that they make and the consequences of having it. I'm currently look, talking now also to Australia and New Zealand about bringing it internationally because they are very, very keen to work with us because they share the same messages as us. Also, I'm working with the Sakurima, which is a, a cost action for the EU. So no, no matter the fact that we're not going to be in or we're not in EU anymore, we are still sharing we're still doing you know sharing best practice we're sharing ideas with all our counterparts and there are 68 different countries represented on this um, board that we meet twice a year and we are in constant contact with each other just trying to see what's the best way forward what's working for you and what we can try and briefly what are you hearing from the uk government i can imagine as a conservative administration they are historically sympathetic to rural issues Are, are they on board with this they are, absolutely. There's an all-party parliamentary group at this moment in time. It's been chaired by Anne-Marie Morris. They're having their, um, they're asking people to present, um, sorry, present evidence in August, and I've been invited to um, 
to actually contribute some information about what we've done in the realms of mental health and farm safety and how it's impacting rural communities and what in order for them to sort of devise a plan of how to support people in rural communities that are suffering with mental health issues what does that look like how much money is going to be involved in that so they're actually they are liaising with lots of different organizations right throughout the country in order to get that rural support there and available when it's needed bloomberg westminster listen weekdays at noon on dab digital radio in london Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.